today I'm going to talk about a message, and I really wrestled with the title of the message. But if I were to title it, we've been in, uh, in a series called Church Is, and we've talked about, you know, churches where we worship God, we equip believers and disciple them. But the third part is we reach the world. Um, that's what our calling is, is that we're called to reach the world. And I'm going to talk today about evangelism, but the title, I, I really felt strong about titling it A Message from Hell. Um, you know, I don't often talk about, I, I've actually never in my uh, history of being a pastor ever even talked about hell. I mean, I, you know, we talk about how God saves us, but today I, I thought if we talk about evangelism, if we talk about reaching the world, we ought to know what we're helping to save them from. And, and I think for us, if you're a believer, you recognize how God saved you, that you were lost, that, you know, you, uh, you probably felt like you were drowning in, in the, the problems of this world. You just felt like everything was very overwhelming. But it's not just your problems God saved you from. It's not just the craziness of your life. God saved us from an eternity separated from him because of our sins. It's the sin nature inside of us that separates us from a holy God. Because the penalty or the wages, Romans says, the wages of sin is death. But the gift of a God is eternal life. And so when we talk about evangelism, we've got to know that the Bible and the gospel is good news. Like we're not out there just trying to proselytize and go out and try to convert people to Christianity because we're trying to start a new religion. Jesus is the movement. He came to give us life. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And so it's not just another religion. He is the religion. He is the way. There is no other. And so as a believer, you can say, well, I don't know. In fact, I I've, I've really was studying and preparing for this. It's been on my heart for so long. But, but look, what a shocking stat. Barna says that almost half of millennials, 47%, agree that, that at least somewhat it's wrong to evangelize to people. That 47%, now imagine, so we're like, I'm Gen X, and then you got the boomers before me, and the millennials are the ones coming up. 47% believe evangelism is wrong. Like, why would you tell someone who believes a different faith about our faith? Would you really try to convert them? And the answer is absolutely. Why? Because God is not just a God of many. He is the God. Jesus is the way. And when you have the answer and the solution, the last thing we want to do is sit around in apathy and let someone die and spend eternity absent from God. C.S. Lewis, a great theologian, he, uh, look at what he said. He said, the opposite of love is not hate, it's indifference. It's indifference. What's that, Pastor? That means apathy. Don't really care. It doesn't really matter. You know, I'm not as concerned. There's, there's no compassion. Every time Jesus felt compassion, he was moved to action. Look, you don't have to be sympathetic of people as far as just, oh, I feel sorry for it. Don't feel sorry for them. Give them a solution. Don't just feel bad that they're where they're at. Give them hope to get out of where they're at. Don't just be upset that they don't have an answer. No, you got the answer. 
And so we have the answer, then we have the solution. And then there is also a mandate that we must feel and understand. Mark chapter 16, verse 15. This is where Jesus is giving his disciples a commission. They call it the Great Commission. And it's an assignment. It's a responsibility. And we read the Bible through the filter many times of spectators instead of people participating in the story that God is writing. Look, you have been charged with the story. There is a baton that has been passed from generation to generation to generation to generation. Do you know at the end of your life, history will mark us whether or not we pass this baton to the next generation, that we're not bystanders, we're not spectators, we are participators in the gospel. We are the church. And with that is the mandate that Jesus came to give, and that's the hope for those who are lost. He says, go everywhere in the world and tell the good news to a couple of people, to people that I like, to people that are nice to me, to those that believe like me. No, no, what does he say? Everybody say that word together. Everyone. So not a few people, everyone. That here we are called, that everyone we come in contact with, we're called to share the good news of the gospel. The fact that Jesus came to this earth, he lived a sinless life, uh, he died willingly so that his blood would pay the penalty of sin, and that we once and for all, we would be able to receive eternal life and be restored in relationship with God. The good news of the gospel. And I don't know if you have ever studied heaven or hell, but, you know, over the last couple of months, I've been looking at heaven and looking at hell. And in fact, my kids just watched a movie that talked a little bit about someone who had had an experience of heaven. And I, I would love to talk about heaven, but this one is not about heaven. I think we get heaven. Even if you don't, I mean, it'll be a pleasant surprise. I don't think we get hell. And so the challenge for me, I've never been a hellfire brimstone preacher. You know, I'm an evangelist at heart, so I just love lost people. I'm just constantly, but I think there ought to be a time in our life. In fact, I've never shared it. I'm going to share a little bit of it today, not in that way, but the reality of what hell is and the fact that at the moment a person transitions from this life, they go to one or two places, heaven with God or hell away from him. That's it. There's no other option. There's no other place. There's no purgatory. And the challenge, if we don't understand that, is that when people slip past, it's like, well, they lived a good life. Heaven is not a place full of good people and hell's a place full of bad people. Well, but that, I thought bad people go to hell. No, unforgiven people go to hell. Forgiven people go to heaven. Well, pastor, what do you mean? Well, Jesus came that any person who chooses him would be saved, that salvation would be experienced. You don't have to go to hell. Look at Romans chapter 5, verse 8. Romans chapter 5, verse 8 clearly tells us, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Well, what do you mean? We, we were still sinners. We were still lost with the penalty of the sin, which is death. He didn't, he didn't ask you to clean yourself up. I love that. 
You don't have to get it all right to come to church. You can be messed up and be sitting here right now. And I want you to know that Christ died just for you as you were a sinner. John 3, 16, we, many of us know is God loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. That's the good news of the gospel that you don't have to die and spend eternity in hell. In fact, God never created hell for people. Look at Matthew, Matthew chapter 25, verse 41. When you look at hell, because here's the, here's the question that I get often. How could a good God send people to hell? God doesn't send people to hell. He never created hell for people. In fact, Matthew actually tells us in Matthew 25, look at what it says. Hell was created. This is the parable of the goats and the sheep. Jesus is speaking. In fact, when you study hell and you go try to look up references in the Bible, the the main person that even gives us a depiction of hell is Jesus. The Apostle Paul rarely even says anything. And I wonder if it's because even as a preacher, as a pastor, we know what's at stake. We know that there's salvation and eternity. But Jesus himself knows the gravity of what hell is really like. And so to him, it's a burning warning and a caution that he knows, look, I made hell, but it wasn't for you. And so there's this, have you ever had a child that has bad decisions and you try to talk, look, don't do that. That's a terrible decision. Don't go out with that person. Don't go to that place. Why? Because you've been there. You know what that road leads you to. And, and so you're desperately pleading for him. Why? Because maybe you made those same mistakes. So, you know, God didn't make mistakes, but he did create hell. It just wasn't for people. Look at what he says here. He says, depart from me. Now, again, he's separating the goats and the sheep. And with this is where Jesus is saying the day of judgment, there's going to be a separation. Those who did the things that I told them to do, they had a relationship with me. And then those who just played church. I mean, no, there's going to be a lot of people in, he- in, in church who don't make it to heaven. Goats dressed up as sheep. And he's talking about this here. Look at what he says in verse 41. Depart from me. You who are cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. He didn't prepare for you. God didn't create hell to punish those that thought differently. And no, no, no. He sent Jesus so that you could be saved. So when people go to hell, it's because they choose to reject the salvation Jesus Christ offers. And there is only one way to salvation, and it's through Jesus. That's why this whole fallacy, many ways to God, no, 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 no. The Bible says wide is the road to destruction, but narrow is the gate to eternal life. Why? Because there's one way. You can't go many ways. There's one way. There's only one right way, and it's through Jesus. And we as believers have the charge to go and tell a world that is dying, go and tell a world that's hurting that's lost. And I'm thinking about evangelism. Why would people not evangelize if we don't tell people why? Why wouldn't we? We got the answer. We got the solution. I think there's a couple of reasons. I I think some of it is we just don't really know how. 
It's like, I don't, I don't know how to tell people. I don't know what to say. I don't, you know, I know he's touched my life, but I don't really know what to do. Well, I'm going to share with you some things that we can do today that will help us. Uh, I think some don't understand the gravity of what's at stake, that there really is an eternity with, with Jesus or an eternity in hell separated from him. And, and I think some of it is just the complacency that we experience. I think we get busy. How many know we are typically selfish? How many have ever walked through a store and you know you need to pray for someone and you're like, I'm not praying for them, I'm busy. I think the greatest distraction to evangelism is busyness. You know, he just gets us busy and then we can become self-centered and it's all about us. I think another reason is we have some bad encounters. Maybe you tried to share your faith with someone and it devastated you when it didn't go well. I was thinking this this morning, I really wrestled the first service. I, I told the story and I've never told the story till today. But, you know, I was thinking about my my family. You know, I've had the privilege to lead each of my kids. Me and Phyllis have led every one of our kids to Jesus personally, which has been the greatest privilege. But I, I get to lead people to Jesus pretty often. But there's no greater person to lead to Jesus than someone that's a part of your family. And I remember when I was young, it's about 20 years ago. Uh, my memo, memo Kyles, uh, was in the hospital. Uh, and I'm going to tell you the tale of two situations, two people, and uh, the way both of them went is not the same. And memo Kyles, uh, they, they grew up in Texarkana. My dad uh, is the only one in his family that I know of uh, that became believer. In fact, he got saved in a bus ministry when he was seven years old. Somebody would come and pick up the kids, and he was living on a, a dairy farm. His, his dad and mom were poor dairy farmers. They had land, and they'd milk cow and uh, the cows, and, you know, they didn't have a lot of money. It was a rough life. He was abused. He was, uh, they, they were just, it was, it was a very, very rough life. But somehow God got a hold of his life at seven years old. A bus driver would come and pick him up. And his whole family had the opportunity. All the brothers, all the brothers got to go to church. Well, none of them kept going, but dad kept going. God saved him and changed him. And out of all the Kyles, this family, the one, the ones that, the, the Kyles that I'm a part of, this legacy of our immediate family, we're the only ones living for God. We go back to a reunion. We do. It's amazing to see how they have chosen to live their life versus the way that God has allowed us to live ours. And so I always tell mom, if dad didn't do anything, he brought us out of that. So I'll never forget, I'm young, mid 20s. My memo's sick. She's in Beaumont, which she wasn't often in Beaumont. She's at the hospital. And I'm praying, God, let me go pray for her. I know she doesn't know you. I've only, I've only spent about probably 10 or 15 times I've ever even been with her. But I know that she doesn't know you, and I know she's getting to the end of her life. And so I'll never forget pulling up to the hospital, walking up there, and she was third or fourth floor and going into the room and, hey, Mama, it's good to see you. Hey, now which one are you? Are you Jim or Steve? Uh, I'm Jim, Mama. It's good to see you. And I just, we started to have some conversation towards the end of it. I don't, it's been about 30 minutes with her. And toward the end of it, I said, Mama, can I, can I pray with you? I, I just, I want to pray with you. I believe God can heal you. And I began to, she said, no. I said, Mama, Listen, I, I, can, I, can I just pray? And she began to say no. And I said, well, can I just tell you about Jesus? 
It's okay. So I just began to tell her. She began to cuss me out. I'm embarrassed. She's yelling. Really feel like she began to manifest. So I'm, you know, come on, Mima, and I began to pray, and she's hollering. Finally, I just, I was like, I don't know what to do, so I began to walk out, and she said, you can go to hell. So I walked out. The last words I ever heard her say. She passed away shortly after. Now I don't know if God saved her. I don't know. But my feeling is how I left the room is probably how she stepped into eternity. I never forget I went down to the chapel. I was messed up, confused. I mean, come on, man. You're like, I thought, man, God, I thought you told me to. Thank you, Phyllis. She told me, don't put it on your hands. Apparently, I did that first service. But I began to pray. God, I don't understand. I'm confused. thought you told me. thought you'd had me because I'd never really done anything like that. And I'll never forget when she passed. There was something inside of me that shut down. I'm like, I don't want to tell people. And some of you, maybe you've experienced that. Someone you loved, you're just like, let me tell you about the gospel. Maybe it was a friend and then they betrayed you. They said crazy things. I, I don't know. But if it did to you what this did to me, you probably shut down. You're like, God, I thought you said, here's what I've come to learn. My job is not the results. My job is to be obedient. I'm just called to be obedient. And little and behold, I would work through it. And I'll never forget her funeral. There was like just a handful of people. And then I, here I am a pastor. And I've thought about that. I thought about myself. How I could have been the same in hell. Because see, with funerals, they're always a challenge. I actually like to do funerals more than I like to do weddings. Because I think at funerals, people are at a day of decision. What will I decide? How was my life lived? And I often think, do we think about that enough? Do we think about, because you always think you got tomorrow. I got another. No, the Bible says today is the day of salvation. Today, right now. You can't, when, when I was saved, you, you may or may not know it. I was strung out on drugs for five days. Uh, had a restaurant, had real estate. Phyllis and I had making a lot of money. We're doing a lot of drugs, hanging out. I was running from God. Our marriage was falling apart. Life was just crazy. And then it just spiraled out of control really quick because I knew I was raised in church, but I knew the church wouldn't have me back because I was acting a fool. 
I never forget, I was out, Phyllis and I, it was our fifth night to go out again, and we did this often, and it was 12.30 at night, I was in the bathroom, and I'll never forget, I haven't spoken about this, I write about it in the book a little bit more in detail, but in my bathroom, I say, you know, God visited me. You know what God visited me with? It was an open vision of a fork in the road. One fork went to heaven, one path, the other point went to hell, and he said, right now, this is your moment to choose. I knew that at that moment, whatever decision I made would determine my destiny. Today is the day of salvation. Not tomorrow. Let me fast forward just this last year. My grandpa, um, he, he was one of the founding members here. We started with, there were, there were a handful of us here in the church in my living room and I'll never forget 2012, God gave us a vision to launch this church, and we got all the people together, and it was literally the Kyle's family and the Grimm's, Jackie and Adam Grimm. And I'm sharing a vision of a church and what God wants to do, and all I know is all of my family said, we're all in, we're all in, we're all in. Well, my grandpa was a part of that. They've been coming to the church for, since the very beginning, but now he has the uh, dementia and this last year through COVID, it's just onset even more. And uh, we had a family gathering this last year at Steve's house. And Grandpa's been in church now for eight and a half years with me, not to mention the years that he had gone to other churches and been a part of it. But for whatever reason, on this day at Steve's house, he says, Jim, can I just, can I talk to you? I said, yeah, Grandpa. He said, would you pray? with me. He said, my mind is not what it used to be. But I don't think I'm saved. I said, well, tell me about that, Grandpa. He said, I've been to church my whole life, but something's not right. And I want you to just pray with me. Show my picture. So here's, <clears throat> that's a picture, Phyllis snapped it, of me leading my grandpa on my mom's side to the Lord last year. Come on, isn't that awesome? He had big alligator tears. Man, you could see his whole countenance had changed. He had been in church his whole life. But to realize this is my moment, this is my time. He's watching right now at home, I'm sure. And it's so amazing because Granny says every Sunday he sits in the chair at 1130, not in his right mind throughout the week, but at 1130, it's like something happens. He's clapping with us. When I say stand, he stands. When I pray the sinner's prayer, he repeats it. He is right there locked in with us, but God saved his soul. So I'm here to tell you that evangelism, it's not even just what we say, it's the life we live. And, and when you look at good news, Jesus said good news when he talked about Mark 16, 15. Why would he call it good news? Well, because he's saving us from, from hell. Now, I want to give you just a little picture of hell, but before I do, look at Luke 16, 27 and 28. Jesus is telling the story. So remember, he's just said, I want you to go tell good news. Jesus is a master communicator. 
He's going to give instruction, but how many know the greatest instructions come with the why? Like, don't just tell people what to do. Tell them why we do what we do. And so he gives a story of a rich man uh, who comes and is rich on this earth. And Lazarus, who's a beggar, who is laying at the, the gate around the, the rich man's house, and they both die at the same time, but they go to two totally different places. The rich man goes to hell and the poor man goes to heaven. And so when Jesus is telling this illustration, it would have baffled those who listened because rich people were considered blessed by God in the Jewish nation. So they figured if you're rich, then God must be with you because he's blessing you. And Jesus is flipping the script and saying, it's not about your possessions. You may even have things and be blessed. It's about the condition of surrender in your life. It's not about the stuff. It's not about going to church. It's not about doing all the right things. It's the condition of your soul. And there's a divine flip. So now Lazarus, who was poor in earth, is rich in eternity. The rich man who was rich in earth is poor throughout eternity. And look at what happened when I called it a message from hell. This is what made me think, even with my memo, what would she be saying now to us? Look at what it says. So, so the, the rich man sees this chasm and, and Abraham is, is holding Lazarus. And for whatever reason, he can see and so he's trying to get him to put Lazarus' finger in water just so he could have a drop. How many know that's bad when you're saying, I'm not, I'm not even asking for a cup of water. I just want a drop of water. And of course he says, no, it can't happen. But look what 27, he says, then I beg you. What are you going to beg him? Send Lazarus to my family. Where do you start with evangelism? Can we just start with our families? You ain't even got to go very far. He said, for I have five brothers, let him warn them so that they will not also come to this place of torment. Can I tell you heaven and hell are real? But it's not meant for you. It's not meant for those around us. Hell wasn't created for people. And let me, let me just give you a little bit of a description of what hell is like. And I want to go through this quickly. Again, many have never even thought about hell. I put until even preaching this message, I didn't originally write that in, but I thought if people don't, did you know that there's, there's a movement now, 58% of Americans don't even believe in hell. They believe in heaven. 73% believe in heaven. Everybody wants to believe in heaven. They don't even believe in hell. No, no, I want you to know hell is real. It's for eternity. It's forever and ever. And I just, you just, you got to know, look, what is it in Matthew 8, 12? It's darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Matthew 13, 42, blazing furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. It's an everlasting fire that was prepared for the devil and all of the demonic principalities, never for us. Look at what Revelation 14, 11. Look at what it says. The smoke of the torment will rise forever and ever. Have you ever had something painful happen to you? And you know, I cut off my thumb when I was a teenager. It's probably one of the most painful things that happened. You know, I, my hand went through a window here. That was that was really painful. Um, you know, I, I'd probably go, I think I broke this finger, which is why I wasn't wearing my ring for a while. Um, that, that was pretty painful, still is a little bit painful. But, but can I tell you, that has got nothing on what hell is like. Your worst day. Look, the scary movies, where do you think those demonic horror shows come from? 
And anything Hollywood can produce is nothing on what the real thing is. And so here's what Revelation says, smoke and torment will rise forever and ever. They will have no relief day or night for they will, they have worshiped the beast and his statute and have accepted the mark of his name. Again, it's not for you. It's for the devil. But what he wants to do, think about if he's already banished for eternity, he's trying to take as many people as possible. So can we have a church in Richmond, Texas that says, look, evangelism is my responsibility. I own it. It's for me. Look, nobody can go into your world except you. I can't go there. Now I can create a place for you to bring your friends. And that's my greatest desire. Look, if you don't know what to say, bring them to church. If you don't know how to connect with it, just bring them to the house of worship, but it's got to be more than just bringing them. We got to live it out. We got to share the gospel. We got to tell them what God has done in our life. Look at what 2 Corinthians 5.20, it says, we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. Look, he's making his appeal through you, that you're Christ's ambassador. Think about it. If, the, if people were to look at you, would they see Jesus? If you were to be convicted or on trial for being a Christian, could you be convicted? Is there enough evidence in what you say? Is there enough evidence in what you do? Is there enough evidence when someone looks at you and says, my God, they are truly believers because of the life you live? So how do we do it? There's four simple ways. I'm going to give them to you quickly. First one, evangelism is your responsibility. It's my responsibility. It's your responsibility. Matthew 4.19, Jesus said, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. What's he talking to? He's talking to the disciples. So we are disciples. We are Christ followers. That still applies to us. Remember, the baton is being passed. It's not for just the original 12 that walked with Jesus and started this movement. We're to keep the baton going, to keep the movement going. And so you're not just called to be a casual Christian. You're called to be a fisher of men. And we use bait to make people hungry and thirsty for a God. God who's real. Evangelism is not standing on the street corner yelling at people. I always get frustrated because it's a misrepresentation of who God is. I, I, I know that there are prophetic voices, and I can understand and appreciate that, but never did I see Jesus standing on the corner telling people you're dying and going to hell. You know what Jesus did? He ate with sinners. He walked with sinners. He loved sinners. He embraced sinners. He walked into their world, and He let the love of God win them to the Father. You know who Jesus was mad at, who Jesus was angry with? It was the religious. Anytime you see Jesus angry, doing what he did, overturning the tables, that was in the temple when they called the house of God a place of money changers. Never with sinners. He loves sinners. He embraced them. That's why I tell people all the time, look, someone say, oh, pastor, they, they don't know I'm a pastor. I don't, I don't go out just telling everybody I'm a pastor. In fact, uh, we were on a call the other day, uh, me and Pastor Ashley and Vanessa. And so we were on a call with this, this person that we're looking to collaborate with. I'm working on with the book. And, and he said, pastor, I just, I got Pastor Kyle's. So he called me Pastor Kyle's. And uh, I said, cool, you know, uh, I said, hey, first off, you don't have to call me pastor. He said, well, I thought you're pastor. I said, yeah, but just call me what I am to you. Right. I didn't need you to give me a title. Just call me Jim. And he said, well, I just want you to know. And he begins to say, you know, my business is ran on this and and I'm going to help you get this out. But my motive is different than your motive. And I said, oh, yeah. He said, no, your book is probably really good. He said, but I'm not here to help people. I'm here to make money. And you know what I said? I said, praise God. 
You say, well, why would, why would you say that? For two reasons. Number one, that means he's motivated to get God's message out. Come on, somebody. Uh, you give people like, oh, well, God will get it. No, no, you got to get that out. So if, whatever, if you want effectiveness to you, me paying you more dollars to get it out, whatever the benchmark is. Second reason is I've got someone that's on my target list that I'm praying for, I'm reaching out to, I'm praying that God would touch his heart, that I'm the right person at the right place, that he would get radically saved, touched and changed and transformed. And I think his representation was you might not, no, 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 it's okay, brother. Sinner's sin. Your motivation ain't my motivation. I don't need to put my values on you, but I do now know that I get to reach you with the love of God and you're a perfect prospect for God's love. That's what Jesus does. He loves the lost. He loves the sinner. I want to give you the second thing is, look, as we, we, we go out and we share the love of God, the challenge for many people is how do I identify where a person is and what does it look like? Evangelism's a little... It's a little confusing. Can I get an amen? It's like, so I say something, I'm supposed to get them to Jesus? No, there's an Ingle scale. I want them to put them up on this side. The Ingle scale helps us to recognize there are stages for discipleship, that everyone's on a journey, that we as believers, uh, we, we gave our life to Christ, we experienced salvation, but it was a process. And as you know that, the responsibility then, everybody look at me real quick, and then we'll go back, keep that Ingle scale. Uh, well, I guess you could, Put it back on my everybody look over here just real quick. I want to tell you this one point, then we'll go to it. Your job, number one, is not to save people. That's God's job. It's a passage in Luke 19. This is Jesus. And again, it's going to reiterate what I was telling you. It, this is the story of Zacchaeus. Now, Zacchaeus was a chief sinner. Uh, that means uh, he was a tax collector. He was a chief tax collector, but a great sinner. And uh, the Jewish people hated him because he was a traitor. Anybody who collected taxes for Rome, they considered traitors. They usually ripped people off. Uh, they were scoundrels. They were the lowest of lows. And in this story, what we see is Zacchaeus has come to investigate who Jesus is. Is Jesus who he really says he is? And he comes around and he's hearing of people being healed and blind eyes open and the love of God. And he, he sees the religious, but the religious hate him. Why? Because they love money. They don't love God. They're not after Zacchaeus to lead him to God. And so here's a man who represents God, who actually loves the lost, loves the sinner, loves the tax collector. And so he's just trying to get a peek of Zacchaeus. Just, hey, can I see Jesus? And I think that's what happens on Sundays. People come into this place. They watch on the live stream. And they're like, I heard about this church. Can I just, I, I heard God's moving. I heard he loves me, but, but I don't know. Can I just see can I just see, do you, do you really mean it? You mean I can come in strung out on drugs and you're still going to love me? Yes. I'll never forget the day we were in BF Terry in the, 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 the cafeteria for whatever reason. That was one Sunday we had to be in the cafeteria and one of the people on our staff came up and we're up there worshiping and he, he taps me on the shoulder and he says, Pastor, you're really going to love it. I said, what? He said, uh, there's four people on the back row that smell like pot. And you say, why would you love it? Because they're in the right place. And he knew we celebrate sinners in the right place, people. Look, sinners do what sinners do, but thank God. Look, God saved me when I was strung out on drugs. He can save those that are here that are messed up. They come to see you. Look at what it says. Jesus comes by. He looked up. Zacchaeus calls him by name. I want you to know God knows your name. 
Yes, does God know my name? God knows your name. He said, quick, come down, for I'm going to go be a guest at your house today. Zacchaeus hurriedly climbed down and took Jesus to his house in great excitement and joy. But look at how the response of others says the crowd was displeased. Look at what they said. Oh, Jesus, don't you know? Don't you know? These are notorious sinners. Can you imagine that? I mean, the boldness of the crowd to correct and reprimand Jesus. Just the mentality, the wrong mentality. I don't know about you, but I was a notorious sinner. Well, I could sin well. So I wonder if we could be notorious Christians, famous for the love and the Here's the reality. As a church, we want to do anything short of sin to save those that God would save. Bring them to the presence of God. Because we can't save them, but God does. Look what it says. They, they grumbled. And then here's, meanwhile, we don't know how long it was, but he was there eating lunch, hanging out. So meanwhile was the time that Jesus was there. And here's the, here's the care part. Somehow from the time Jesus went to his house and ate lunch, Zacchaeus is saved. Salvation has come to him. Says he's stood before the Lord and said, Sir, from now on I will give half my wealth to the poor. And if I have found that I've overcharged someone on his taxes, I will penalize myself by giving back four times as much. Jesus told him, This shows that salvation has come to his home today. This man was one of the lost sons of Abraham, and I, the Messiah, have come to search for such souls as his. Jesus was on a rescue mission. Sometimes we forget how messed up we were. We come get cleaned up and Jesus is like, don't forget the mission. Bring, bring hope. Don't forget the mission. Go and, and speak the gospel. Go and give hope. Go and preach the good news. And that's where we got to just be ready to share. Be ready in season and out of season. 1 Peter chapter 13, verse 15 says, Always be prepared to give an answer to anyone and everyone who asks you for the reason of the hope that you have. And here's what I've recognized about evangelism. Half the battle is just awareness. Am I aware that I'm around lost people? Like, am I aware that as I go into the place where I might shop, that whether it's Kroger's, Whole Foods, or God forbid Walmart, just God bless them, but just no Walmart, that, that they're lost people. Sometimes we get real busy. It's like, oh, don't mess. You know, you go to the checker. Have you ever had the checker who's like, you just happened to get into the one line where you're like, oh, my Lord Jesus. I have three items and 27 people in front of me. And this person must work in a union because it is not fast. We get impatient. You get to the line and you feel the Lord say, hey, would you pray for me? You're like, no, no, I ain't got time. I'm late. God's like, well, late for what? You're on an assignment. I brought you to this place. And I don't want to step through eternity and Jesus just say, look, all the places you had an opportunity, whether it was to water, whether it was to plant, that God wanted to do a work and I missed it. I would rather someone like Mimal Kyle's who cusses me out and, and at the very end says mean and hateful things to me. Let them, if they go to hell, let it be through that. Then because of apathy. 
a lack of care or concern that says, I'm just too busy. No, 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 no. Eternity's at stake. We'll readjust everything. We'll move anything. No, 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 no. We got, no, no, no. No, no, what? This is the most important thing. Let me just pray with you. And I wonder if it's just because we just, we didn't know. We're not going to be apathetic. We know now. We choose now. And I want to challenge you this week. Put the commission on yourself. Th think of this. If you're the one that God has called, what are you doing with that charge? Think about your family. Think about your mom, your dad, your brothers, your sisters. The message from the rich man, please, please warn them. Go tell. Can you imagine? The only message from hell is go and tell. And we remain silent.